100 years ago this month, it was October 1922, in the edition of Music and Letters. British critic W. Wright Roberts felt strongly about paying tribute to composer César Franck to mark a very special occasion. He wrote, The centenary of this composer's birth will start two main trends of thought in the minds of music lovers today. They may think of his great work as a teacher of its consequences, or they may think of the music itself. In treating an artist who is so contemplative, so intimate, and so intense, we shall do well to work from outward aspects to the inner essence, from teaching, movements and waves of popularity, to the calm of the organ loft at St. Clotilde. In England, since the war, Franck has become almost popular. Conductors, in their search for something classical that was not German, rediscovered his neglected symphony. His fans in England, however, will always be safest with lovers of chamber music and of serious music for organ and piano. In France, a critical reaction against him has long been perceptible. Where in Franck, they ask, are the typical French virtues, the critical sense, the delicate economy of means, the sensuous grace, the wit, the gaiety? Is it French, asks Monsieur Jean Aubry, this mysticism, this readiness to take everything seriously? We would leave him here at his organ with his portrait in our mind as painted by Madame Rangier, with the rapt look on the strong face awkwardly framed in gray hair and side whiskers, the huge hands sprawling over the keys and stops, and the long frock coat tumbling down so low as surely to get in the way of his peddling. As we see him in his music, he seems to live in a place that is both church and conservatory. He did a great and necessary work in that school through his teaching, work that shines bright on the pages of musical history through his students. No wonder if his music, like the dyer's hand, is a little stained with the labor which gave him his daily bread. He spent himself royally for his scholars. Sometimes, too, he gets into the open air, though he never wanders out of range of the church bells, which ring through his music in so many tones from dreamiest ecstasy to a boyish glee. But in church at the organ, he is at his best. For good and ill, the mark of the organ is on his art. Franck is not happiest when he treats the orchestra, that democracy of self-assertive individuals, each with a technique and a temper of his or her own. Only the organ renders ideally his contemplative, toilsome art, so, too, in their measure, do some chamber combinations. Then the burning intensity of his mystic feeling hits home, for it is upheld and controlled by an intellect whose laborious ways are best suited to such media. In the loft at St. Clotilde, we feel sure his greatest ideas came to him. There, as he plays, he communes with the invisible, and for long stretches, when he is thus inspired, we listen to the music of the pure in heart who shall see God. That from an essay titled César Franck by W. Wright Roberts 
in the journal Music and Letters 100 years ago this month, October 1922, marking the 100th anniversary of the birth of César Franck. Now, 100 years after Robert's tribute, in celebration of the 200th anniversary of Franck's birth, Canon Mark Laubach, organist and choir master of St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Wilkes-Barre, will perform the complete major organ works in a series of three recitals at St. Stephen's in November. Each recital will be between 60 and 70 minutes long, and there is no charge. A free will offering will be taken. We're hearing a recording on the Pro Organo label featuring Mark Laubach performing the Fantasy in C. Mark Laubach paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk with us about his decades-long love of César Franck and his November celebration. The idea came to me maybe three years ago or so when I saw 2022 and I thought, oh, 1822, Franck Bicentennial. And I've, I've loved Franck ever since I first, first piece I learned of his was the Cantabile when I was 13 or 14. And that was when I was with my first organ teacher, Clint Miller, who's still alive at age 90 in Allentown. And for my 14th birthday, my father bought me three LP recordings of the complete organ works of Franck recorded by Jeanne de Messieu, who was, she was brilliant. And I listened to those recordings. I'm sure it wasn't dad's idea. I think Clint put him up to it. But I listened to those recordings nonstop. And so I really got to know the Franck pieces in my head, if not in my fingers and feet. And I've always loved her interpretation of the pieces. I've listened to all sorts of other interpretations too, of course. But I thought, well, you know, someday it would be really neat to do all of the pieces. And before the pandemic hit, I had played nine of the 12. There are many smaller works, um, primarily little pieces he wrote for the harmonium that could be played without pedals. But his major organ works, there are 12 of them. The, th- the six pieces from 1858 to 1862, I think he wrote them. Uh, the three pieces written in 1878, and then the three chorales written in 1890, which were his literally his swan song. He wrote them, um, and then he died, um, very tragically from a, a complications from an omnibus accident where the pole of the bus struck him as he was walking to a an appointment, and uh, he recovered from that, but pleurisy developed, and of course back then there were no antibiotics, so um, he died. But like a month or two before he died, he dragged himself to the uh, Saint Clotilde organ in Paris, where he played, to uh, verify the registrations that he wanted to have for those three pieces. And then he went back home and never got out of his bed after that. So those three chorales are, are really his swan song. Um, I'd only played nine of the 12, and then along came the pandemic, and one of the few good things to come out of the pandemic was that I could practice nonstop. 
and I learned the other three, one of which was the longest of them, which is about 26 minutes long, the Grand Pièce Symphonique. Um, so um, here we are, and I've, I've played, um, I played a recital all franc, almost all franc, in Binghamton back in April. I just played one in Rutland, Vermont, on uh, October 2nd. I'm going to be playing one in Lancaster a week from tomorrow. Uh, and then the three recitals at St. Stephen's on the 4th of November, 13th of November, and the 20th of November. Um, and each one of those recitals will be about an hour long as far as playing time. Um, so it'll be a, a, a manageable thing. You know, you hear recital, recitals of complete organ works of a composer, and people think, oh my God, I'm going to be in there for hours. Not so. I, I've done it in bite-sized chunks. Um, and another good thing is that for people who can't come, we now have live streaming capabilities at St. Stephen's, and we'll be live streaming them through our website, too. What is it that personally grabs you, speaks to you about César Franck? So many things. He had such a gift for melody and harmony. He was in many ways a Wagnerian. He certainly was influenced by Wagner and Liszt with the chromaticism. All you have to do is look at his organ scores and you see all these double sharps and double flats. and <laughs> It can be kind of hairy, but it works so beautifully. Elegant construction of his pieces and just very spiritual. I, I really do react to music, which may not be overtly or expressly spiritual, but nevertheless has that element to it. And Franck's music is very, very much a mirror of what his personality must have been like. Um, his students devised a nickname for him. They called him Pater Seraphicus, Angelic Father, because he was such a nice guy. And even when there were other composers who were being nasty to him, I have to say, as much as I love Sasson, Sasson was brutal and criticized his music up and down. And yet, Franck still dedicated one of his pieces to Mon cher ami Camille Sasson. So he was that kind of a nice, forgiving, loving, genuinely good person. And I think that sometimes that sort of thing comes through in, in a person's works. And, and also the simple fact that Franck was such a revolutionary figure in, in organ music. After Bach, most organists consider him to be uh, among the most important contributors to organ literature. And he started a whole school of French symphonic organ composition and performing, which spawned the likes of Charles-Marie Vidor, Louis Vierne, Maurice Durifle, Olivier Messiaen, all of them follow in the train that was started by César Franck. What about improvising? Was he an improviser? He was an improviser, and uh, obviously that became very much of an important aspect of French organ performance as well. That was already the case, but Franck took it to new heights. The, the organ music that preceded Franck in the early 1800s, late 1700s, had become somewhat trivialized, and that may be partly because of the French Revolution and the reactions against the church and more of the, the age of reason. And so churches often became temples of reason, 
and uh, there was getting a lot of getting away from the traditions of the church, like chant. And organists would play recitals that would be more programmatic, like uh, someone would improvise a piece, which would be a programmatic depiction of a storm <laughs> or a battle. And it was usually very empty and kind of amateurish music, not very well crafted. And along comes Franck, who totally turns the tide and goes back to well-crafted, well-thought-out, uh, well-structured music for the organ. And that was revolutionary, really. You mentioned St. Clotilde. Did the organ there have an impact on what he wrote? Very definitely. The, the, the primary organ builder of that time in France was a man by the name of Aristide Cavaille-Cole, whose instruments still exist. Many of them have been uh, revised or rebuilt, but the organ at Saint-Sulpice is very much identical to what it was in Vidor's time and Dupre's time. Uh, the organ at saint Clotilde has been changed, but the stops that were there in Franck's time are still there. And a friend of mine just told me that he actually played a Franck piece uh, on a visit there, and uh, Jean Langlais' widow had settings where you could just play on the stops that Franck had, and he played, I think it was one of the chorales that he was able to play on the stops that Franck had. Actually, the organ he played uh, at the church before he went to St. Clotilde was called Notre-Dame de Lorette, and that was a cavaille instrument. He called it his own little private orchestra, which is kind of how I feel about the organ at St. Stephen's, too. But when Franck went to St. Clotilde, the organ there was new, so the organ and he were both new in 1857 when he went there, and it was magnificent. It was a, definitely a step up for him from Notre-Dame de Lorette. And I think that's what really fueled his inspiration to begin composing the six pieces in 1858 to 1863, I think. And uh, there's a story that Franz Liszt came to visit him there at Saint-Clotilde, and Franck played the six pieces for Liszt in a private performance. And Liszt said that uh, something like these great masterpieces have every reason to stand alongside the works of Sebastian Bach, which was high praise coming from Liszt. And all throughout the rest of his life, that, that organ influenced his works, definitely the last three, the three chorales. Tell us about the recital that you gave at St. John the Divine. Oh, I was very fortunate to play a recital there some years ago and it included a number of things, but I ended it with the Franck Finale, which is the last of the six pieces. And the thing that is so wonderfully thrilling about playing at St. John the Divine, apart from the instrument, which is one of G. Donald Harrison's most brilliant instruments, that acoustical space is just really phenomenal. About nine or 10 seconds of reverberation and one of the things that's essential to interpreting Franck's music is a reverberant acoustic. It's much harder to play Franck's music in a dry acoustic. For one thing, he had huge hands, so you have to play legato 
and, and at least in a reverberant space, you can get away with a few little breaks here and there. But uh, in a dry room, you really have to work hard at keeping everything connected. But also just for the ambiance and the, and the sense of the music, that space at St. John the Divine was really, really thrilling to play with. And Franck also, in many of his, uh, most of his organ works, has these grand pauses where he'll play a big chord or, or section and let go. And that's when the room takes over. And you have to have a room that can do that. Fortunately, we have a lovely reverberant space at St. Stephen's, which makes that possible. You've recorded, Frank. That's right, yes. And why did you choose that particular? Why did you choose the fantasy? The fantasy in C. I'm not quite sure why, but I just, you know, I go through periods where I, I love a certain piece. You know, people say, what, what's your favorite Frank piece? And it's, uh, I can never decide because I love them all. Although I must say I have a very special love for the Prière. More about that later, but to get to the fantasy. The fantasy really was Franck's first piece of all of those 12 major compositions. And so it's kind of a, a, a template of sort that uh, shows his, his style and his, his compositional devices in, in great detail. The prayer, which I mentioned before, prayer. Um, prayer, is very much a prayer, and I think it is the most deeply personal of those 12 pieces that Franck composed. It's so personal that sometimes I think it's probably written more for an organist than for an audience. It's very deep, and some people, in fact, some of my organist friends find it boring. I, I strongly disagree. I find it absolutely heart-achingly beautiful. There is not a lot of pizzazz in it. It's not a virtuosic piece. It's very deep. It's very romantic, very passionate. And I think it's a, a real mirror into the soul of Franck. And I feel much as it's a mirror into my soul too when I play it. But, but all these 12 pieces, as I'm performing them all, I'm, I'm finding that I love them all, and I'm hard-pressed to pick any one as a favorite. You and the station have been doing music from St. Stephen's for longer than we can probably say. We always hear PSA or Week, mm -hmm. and we hear the chorales. Sometimes one long piece, the Grand Pièce Symphonique. Mm. Why do those jump out? Well, the Pièce Week is is great because it's actually one of the shorter of the 12 pieces. And it's got a lot of bang for its buck. It begins with a tempestuous kind of intense opening. And then it, it has the quiet middle section, very lyrical. And then it ends absolutely triumphantly, again, with those great big pauses where you just let the, the room take over with reverberation. The Grand Pièce, uh, simply by its sheer length, is, is in many ways his magnum opus. But I guess one would have to point to the three chorales as the most important of his works because they're the most mature. It's the time in the very months before he died where his, his ability and his style of composing had matured to that point where you know you're hearing Franck. 
Why would he have chosen the word or the term chorale for them? It's very interesting. He had said to one of his students at one point, a few years before he died, that he, he wanted to write some chorales as Bach did. Although the chorales of Franck are not anything like the chorales of Bach, they are not based on chorale tunes, hymn tunes, that would have been sung by congregations, because that just wasn't a tradition in, in the French church. But his idea of the chorale was a, an originally composed hymn-like piece. And it wasn't always what you heard right at the start. For instance, the first chorale in E major, you hear this lovely opening with a a tune that anybody could sing, but he said, that's not the chorale. The chorale will reveal itself eventually, which it does. And then he combines the opening theme with the chorale, and uh, the wonderful juxtaposition of things is, is something that he did so well. Another thing he loved to do was canon, where he would have one voice play a tune, and then another voice in the other hand, or perhaps in the feet, echoing it a measure or so later. All these sorts of things are, are devices that he used a lot. And you could hear them also in his more famous orchestral and chamber works, I, I think particularly of the symphony in D minor. There are places in the symphony in D minor where I can hear the organ works very much. And then probably my very favorite is the violin sonata, which just makes me melt and weep. And I'm so excited that John Michael Vida and Brian Farrell are going to be performing it. We had scheduled them to perform it back in September, but it had to be postponed. And now it's going to happen on Friday, December 9th at 7.30 p.m. at St. Stephen's. And that just happens to be the eve of the 200th birthday of Franck. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. It's, if anyone hasn't heard the violin sonata, they need to listen to it. It's just exquisite and, and so moving. And here again, I hear or, the organ works in that piece. Was that the one he gave to Isai as a wedding present? That's correct. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, in fact, the program that John and Brian are playing will include a piece by Isai and Guillaume Lecure, who is another one of Franck's students. And the other thing that unites them all is that they were actually Belgian, Belgian-born, who flourished in France. I always like to say that César Franck is rather like Hercule Poirot, Everybody thinks he's French, but he's actually Belgian. <laughs> yes. I happen to be a big fan of Hercule Poirot, too. Well, you have that sensibility that yeah. you... When you talked about playing the prayer and got mirroring your own soul, when you immerse yourself in the body of a composer like Franck and you're getting to say, well, this must reflect him in some way, 
What kind of a dialogue are you having with him through this experience? It's a great question. I'm not sure I know the answer, but I, I definitely feel a, a strong connection there. He w- used to be notorious for staying late nights at Saint Clotilde practicing. In fact, I think his marriage suffered to some extent because of it. When Mrs. Franck was not happy that he kept coming home late at night past midnight, I'm a night owl too. And so I, I resonate with that aspect of his personality. And uh, so when I'm practicing late at nights, when I play magnificently with nobody in the church, uh, one of my professors... <laughs> used to say that when people walk into the room, the keys move. But, but you know, I'm still going to have to do my best even with people in the church. But it's, it's a very spiritual experience to be in a darkened church late at night playing anything, but playing Franck in particular resonates with my soul in those moments. I should mention that the professor that had that quip about when people come into the room, the keys move, That was Dr. Donald McDonald, who I studied with at Westminster Choir College, and he just died this past August 6th at age 97, and I'm dedicating this whole series to his memory. How have you then grouped the pieces per show? That was a difficult thing. I, I really was kind of mystified at how I was going to do this, and some maybe two years ago or so we got a surprise visit by our friend Michael Barone at St. Stephen's one Sunday morning which is always a bit of a shock because you think I'm glad I practiced and I did today. Michael Barone host of Pipe Dreams. Host of Pipe Dreams yes but I said to him I said Michael I'm working on this this Franck Complete Works performance but I'm not sure how to to divide things up in in recitals and he said and I thought Silly me, why didn't I think of this? You have the six pieces, the three pieces, and the three chorales, three recitals. You do two pieces from the six pieces, one piece from the three pieces, and one chorale, and there are your three recitals. Now, the problem is, is that the second of the six pieces is the Grand Pièce Symphonique, which is 26 minutes long or thereabouts. So what I've done is for the first recital on November 4th, I'm playing five pieces. And then at the second recital, I'm playing the second chorale, the grand pièce, and the first of the three pieces. And then the other four are at the November 20th recital. And I really wanted to end the last recital with the chorale in A minor, because that last page, when I get to that last page of the A minor chorale, I start getting emotional because it is the last thing he wrote and and it's very powerful and and while the whole chorale is a minor it ends with this triumphant a major chord full organ and i said it's got to end with the a minor chorale it's the amen at the end of the prayer canon mark laubach organist and choir master of St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Wilkes-Barre, speaking about the 200th anniversary celebration of the birth of César Franck taking place in November in three recitals. As we heard, Mark Laubach will perform the complete major organ works by César Franck, 
and the recitals will get underway this Friday, November 4th at 7.30 p.m. at St. Stephen's Church, and that will be the opening program, and that's Friday evening at 7.30. The second will be Sunday, November 13th at 4, and the third, Sunday, November 20th, also at 4, all at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church, 35 South Franklin Street in downtown Wilkes-Barre. For more information on the web, S-T-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-W-B dot org. S-T-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-W-B dot org. St. Stephen's W-B, Hooksbury dot org.